the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Many people spend New Year's Day making New Year's resolutions because they have decided to turn over a new leaf, they say, to start afresh, to do things differently this year. And it's a, it's a good time of the year, they say, to, to try to start things all over again and begin things afresh. And usually these resolutions last about a week, maybe two weeks. And then we seem to fall into our old habits. And I think the reason for this is that New Year's resolutions, the reason they fail so often is that to change our, our behavior, we first have to change our thinking, and we don't often put that in its perspective. You can't just say, from this day on, I'm going to change this. You've got to think differently, and the Bible says that. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Welcome to Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I think most of us look for a starting point to begin a new or, shall I say, better behavior. As we have already heard, changes in behavior can only occur when we change our thinking. Our life change has to do with the fact that we've been given a new nature. We've been totally transformed. We haven't just been tweaked up a little bit. We have been renewed, regenerated. We've been given new life, and that's why we ought to have new behavior. We ought to be different. As we begin this series, Walk of the New Man, I believe we are going to be challenged in our thinking, or perhaps I should say our way of thinking. So I invite you to settle back, get comfortable, and let's learn together as we listen to Pastor Steve Kreloff in today's Verse by Verse. I'd like to read for us verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, 
and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Many people spend New Year's Day making New Year's resolutions because they have decided to turn over a new leaf, they say, to start afresh, to do things differently this year. And it's a, it's a good time of the year, they say, to, to try to start things all over again and begin things afresh. And usually these resolutions last about a week, maybe two weeks. And then we seem to fall into our old habits. And I think the reason for this is that New Year's resolutions, the reason they fail so often is that to change our, our behavior, we first have to change our thinking, and we don't often put that in its perspective. You can't just say, from this day on, I'm going to change this. You've got to think differently, and the Bible says that. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In fact, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, a tremendous passage of Scripture about how not to worry and have peace and so forth. And look at verse 9. We'll go backwards in this. Paul says, The things you have heard, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. How do you practice it, though? Well, you've got to go back to verse 8 to see this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. In other words... We only practice the truth if we first dwell on the truth. You have to think right before you behave right. And so we're bound to fail in our New Year's resolutions if we don't first have our thinking correct. Now, the Bible mentions nothing about New Year's resolutions. I mean, it's, it's sort of a Christian liberty. I mean, if you want to do it, you do it. The Bible doesn't mention anything about that. But it does mention, this is what we want to concern ourselves with, it does speak about new life behavior, not New Year's resolutions. Our behavior has nothing to do with the change of calendar, but it has everything to do with the change in our nature. Our change has to do with the fact that we've been given a new nature. We've been totally transformed. We haven't just been worked over a little bit. We have been renewed. We have been regenerated. We've been given new life. And that's why we ought to have new behavior and we ought to be different. We're to live a new way because of who we are and the change that's taken place in our hearts. In fact, that's really the message of Ephesians, isn't it? Because this is the way you are, chapters 1 through 3 says. This is the way you ought to be, chapters 4 through 6 says. And you could say in chapters 1 through 3, Paul gives us right thinking on who we are based on what Christ has done in our lives, in our hearts. And the rest of the book is just telling us how to act like who we are. That's really the way to understand Ephesians. In fact, Paul calls it the worthy walk. Chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling. Balance your life out. Have it be in harmony with what you're, what you're called to be, what you are in Christ. And as Paul moves into chapter 4, verses 2 through 16, as we've taken time to study, we see that it affects every area of our lives. This worthy walk affects every area of our lives. And first of all, Paul says, it affects our church life with humility and with love towards the body of Christ. We are to have unity. We are to experience the unity that we already possess. So it affects our, our church life. And starting in, in verse 17, 
of chapter 4, Paul continues describing the worthy walk, but now he says we're to walk in holiness. We're to be different. New life in Christ means unity in the church, but it also means holiness in the society that we operate in. It means holiness in every area of our lives, our interaction, not just with one another, but with a, a world that is not holy. And this unified, growing, mature church called the body of Christ is also to be pure and holy as it moves out into the world. That's really the message of chapter 4, verse 17, to really the end of the chapter. We're to be different. We're to be unique. We're to be holy. We're to be righteous in our behavior. We're that way before the Lord. In fact, chapter 1, verse 4 says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Our standing before God is holiness, blamelessness, purity, righteousness, but our behavior needs to be like that in the world. Positionally, that's the way we are, but our practice needs to be holiness. It's something all of us struggle with because holiness isn't just in our actions, it's with our attitudes, it's with our minds, it's with our, our thoughts. And we are constantly being bombarded with the carnality and philosophy of the world, everything from television to magazines to billboards to books to educational institutes just bombard us with the world's uh, sinfulness and, and usual, usually sexual immorality. And before we realize it, we're sort of lulled into a carnality, the lowering of godly standards to the point that we really have a difficult time even distinguishing ourselves from the world by our behavior. Now, you know how we distinguish ourselves? The only distinction is that we say we believe the gospel. Usually that's the case. We, we, we say we agree on our theology, but we can't tell a Christian apart from the world by his behavior, and that's what's really pitiful. In other words, our theology is different, but that may be the only thing that is different. We seem, as Christians, to act just like the world acts. Christians get divorced just like the unsaved. Christians go to X-rated movies just like the unsaved. And if you think that's not true, I, I tell you this, when uh, I was in California... I remember hearing John MacArthur say that uh, their junior high pastor uh, asked, I think it was about 50 students, 50 junior high students, uh, how many had never been to an X-rated movie. And there were just a handful. I can't remember the statistic now, but it is incredible to think that uh, in a great church like that, that there would be students who would go to X-rated movies. And I remember John MacArthur saying that that don't be don't uh, be so ridiculous to think that that seventh graders will go to X-rated movies and see 18-foot images of of naked people running around that it has no impact on their lives that they can forget that they just can't you see we're so similar to the world and so what I'm telling you is not just something I'm pulling out this is actually happening Christians get divorced like the the world does. Christians go to X-rated movies like the unsaved. Christians cheat on their income taxes like the unsaved. Christians love rock music like the unsaved. We are so much like the unsaved that all we can say that's different about us is that we believe in Jesus. doesn't seem to affect our behavior. See, after a while, the very message of the church isn't believable. I mean, who's going to believe us that Christ brings new life when there's no evidence of new life in our lives? I mean, who, who would... Who would possibly believe that message? 
You see, there has to be a, a contrast between our past lives without Christ and our present lives with Christ. We can't bring the old garbage of our lives into the, into the church scene. We can't, when we come to Christ, that's, that's cut off. There's repentance that's involved. Repentance means a change of mind, a forsaking of sin, a turning away from what's, from what's evil. That's part of the gospel. But we just think we can just say, I believe, and bring all the, the old garbage of our lives into the new life, and it, it just doesn't happen that way. That's just not what the Word of God teaches. There has to be a contrast between our past lives without Christ and our present lives with Christ, and God's Word demands it, and a skeptical world looks for it. I mean, I remember hearing that one philosopher said, you show me your redeemed life, and I might believe in your Redeemer. Tonight we want to take a biblical look at the way our lives should be, the walk of holiness and purity. And in the next few weeks we're going to examine this. And this is so important because we are just constantly bombarded with the moral filth of the world. I mean, you just can't escape it. And this is a pretty good area in our country. But even here, you just can't escape it. We want to look at the problem, the past walk, the present walk, and then some practical application. We'll only take the first two tonight, the problem and the past walk. Let's look first of all at the problem. What was the problem that prompted Paul to write this to the Ephesians? Well, verse 17, the beginning says this, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. First of all, notice that Paul is, is speaking in the authority of the Lord. This isn't his opinion. Nothing that he writes is his opinion. He's speaking in the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with or in the Lord. He's speaking as if the Lord Jesus Christ were there, because in truth, the Lord is speaking through him. So this carries a lot of weight as everything that Paul says. But I think that when Paul says that he speaks in the Lord, there is a, a solemnness. There, it's an attention getter. This is very important. And what does the Lord have to say through Paul? He has this to say, that we walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, the expression Gentiles in the Bible most of the time refers to non-Jews, but it doesn't only refer to that. It means pagans. It means anyone, anyone who, is, who does not uh, know God. In fact, that's the way 1 Thessalonians 4, 5 uses it. Paul says that they are Gentiles, and he means those who know not God. So here, that's what he's speaking about. We're not to walk as those who don't know the Lord. You see, the problem is this. this. This is the real problem, is that the church lives in an ungodly society. It lives in the midst of a world that doesn't know God. And our behavior has to be different from that. But the problem is, is that we are constantly being pulled in the moral or immoral direction of an ungodly society. That has always been the problem, and it continues to this day. And the heart of the matter is that Christians have to have separated lives or else they're going to be pulled into that moral cesspool is what it really is. In fact, the church, is, as some writers have said, is an island in the midst of a moral cesspool. That's a good, vivid description. It isn't a new problem. It's an old problem. Wherever the, the church is, there are pagans. In fact, that's what God wants. He wants the church to be surrounded by moral filth, to show the difference between what we are now and what we used to be. 
The Christians at Ephesus certainly were surrounded by immorality. They were surrounded by pagans, and it was difficult for them to live separated lives. I mean, you think you've got some problems. Listen to this, what they had at Ephesus. Ephesus, their, the whole life in Ephesus was centered around one major thing, and that was the Temple of Diana or Artemis. But it was far more than a religious center. I mean, life was centered around it, but it wasn't just a religious center. The Temple of Diana was also an art museum. It was an asylum for fugitives. You... Uh, you can imagine what kind of characters hung around the temple of Diana. I mean, that's where they can go and they could uh, would be sort of free. It was a bank, too. You know why it was a bank? Because they thought, who would rob from the gods? I mean, they were so fearful of the gods and goddesses, nobody would dare break into the temple. And so they put all their, their money there. Then it was a, a place of business, of commerce. Remember in Acts chapter 19, there were silversmiths who sold images of the goddess Diana? And uh, they really got, got annoyed when Paul came to town because Paul said, said that there's only one true God. There's only one God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they, they had an uprising because he was killing business. I mean, if there's only one true God, then why are you going to buy, and why are you buy uh, little chains to put around your neck of Diana? People were getting converted, and they were forsaking idols. But it was a big business. They would, uh, would get these little images of Diana, and they would hang them around their their homes, their necks, their wrists, their ankles. Some, I guess it was fashionable to put it on your chariot. Some put it on their chariot. Now, as far as worship goes, Diana was the goddess of fertility, which basically means she was the sex goddess. That's, that's really what it means. And from my studies, as I understand that worshiping her was just basically one big orgy. That's, that's really what it amounted to. Prostitution and immorality and moral filth was really what worshiping Diana was all about. One Greek philosopher said this about the worship of Diana. The temple was the darkness of vileness, the morals lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus fit only to be drowned. That was their problem. They were to be different, but they lived in a place that was so immoral it was pathetic. But you know what's exciting to, to learn about that? Not exciting to see the moral filth, but exciting to see that, that that's where the Lord raised his church. And Ephesus really wasn't unique. I mean, you go through the New Testament and you see where God raised his church. In fact, Paul went to centers. He went to the most immoral places and led people to the Lord. And it's exciting to see that. I mean, Paul didn't operate in, in the suburbs. I mean, he did there too, but his center of of getting the gospel out in the center where God raised up his people, his church, was immoral, wicked cities. There was Corinth. I remember in studying for, uh, for the series on Corinth, uh, the first Corinthians we did a number of years ago, I have never studied a more and known of a more wicked place than Corinth. The only thing I can compare it to today is San Francisco. In fact, Corinth had so much immorality and prostitution that one writer said it's not every man who can afford a trip to Corinth. To call someone a Corinthian was like calling them a drunkard. But that's where the Lord raised his church. He raised his church in Rome. I mean, the very heart of the empire was Rome. Places like Thessalonica, Philippi, Colossae, all of these places. Wicked, vile places. And that's where he sprang up his people. Centers of paganism. You know, that's where the Lord wants his church. 
That's really where the Lord wants. Even though there's a problem in people being pulled in the direction of the uh, the ungodliness, he wants his church in places like that. Why? Because God wants the world to see what true Christianity is all about, holiness in action. And what better place to demonstrate purity and holiness than in vile, immoral cities? I mean, that's where the contrast shows. Too many Christians want to retreat to the suburbs. You've probably heard about many, many churches, especially in inner cities, want to move out and go to the suburbs where they're, where they're sort of free from all this corruption. And I have, I have some difficulty with that. I have some difficulty with that if you, if you leave for that reason. God wants his church right in the midst of sin. I so appreciate the stand that Moody Bible Institute has on that. You know, Moody Bible Institute uh, turns off a lot of people, a lot of prospective students from going there. You know why? When parents find out where it's located, they'd like their, their children to go some other place. I remember Michelle's folks telling me that uh, they just couldn't stand to leave her there. Moody Bible Institute is right in the heart of downtown Chicago. It is surrounded by wickedness on all sides. In fact, there's one street that surrounds Moody Bible Institute. I think it's called Well Street that surrounds Moody Bible Institute, that uh, the uh, women are not even allowed to walk on that street alone. Wicked place. Wicked place. It's, uh, it's close to an area called Caprini Green. I was a naive freshman uh, student, and I decided one day I was going to go to Caprini Green alone and hand out tracts. And I went there, and... Uh, I had a great time, just a great time handing out tracks alone. And then when I got back, uh, some friends said, where'd you go? And I told them, and I, I, I thought they were going to faint. No, they said, nobody goes there alone. Well, I was just too dumb to know that I wasn't supposed to go there alone. But that's the kind of neighborhood it is. And, and there's, there's a lot of pressure on that school to move out of Chicago and go to the beautiful suburbs. And Chicago has great suburbs. But they won't do it because that's where God wants his word to go out. And we need to be a lighthouse in a dark world. You see, the solution to pagan influences isn't retreating from sinful people. That's never been the solution. You know what the solution is? It's to think differently from them so you won't act like they act. That's the solution. They behave the way they do because they think the way they do. And what we need to be careful of is that we don't think like them. We're not to retreat from them. We're to rub shoulders with them. I mean, Jesus did. He was with publicans and with sinners. He didn't retreat from them. He moved in their midst, but he had a renewed, redeemed. Well, we shouldn't say redeemed. He had a, he had a mind that was pure, and we shouldn't really say renewed. He was God. But for us, we are to move in the midst of, an, of a sinful world with correct thinking. That's the problem. The problem is there are pagans all around us, and we're not to live like them. And the tendency is for us to live like them. If it wasn't, Paul would not be writing this. He says, I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In other words, the implication is some of you are walking that way and you need to stop it. You need to just stop it. And then he explains to us the past walk. He's telling us how wicked the past walk was, how wicked the Gentiles do walk how wicked those who don't know God really are in their attitudes and in their behavior. And so let's look at the past walk. The key to understanding the lifestyle of a pagan, and we're not talking about somebody in, in Africa or Asia now, we're talking about someone who doesn't know the Lord, who's right here 
in Clearwater. The lifestyle of a pagan, the, the key to understanding that is found at the end of verse 17. How do they walk? They walk in the futility of their mind. Not living like the pagans around us. We do have a responsibility to be constantly checking our lives, our way of thinking, to see how it measures up to the Bible. We have much more to learn about the walk of the new man in the coming days, so I would like to invite you to join us next time as we continue talking about our thinking. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Street. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like any more information about Lakeside Community Chapel, you can check them out at www.lakesidecommunitychapel.com. And again, please join us next time for Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.